Underground Railroad was driven in part by religious convictions of those who wanted to end slavery. And yet, by the early 19th century, North Carolina Quakers as a whole owned more slaves than many others. How did that happen? We'll ask that question and many others to our guest Ferguson Bordewick, author of Bound for Canaan, The Underground Railroad, and The War for the Soul of America, when we return on Civil War Talk Radio. Deep in their split-level castle, the gallant Swiss knights plan their audacious quest to eliminate Tillamook cheese. Hiya, Jensen. I have here... Hans, will you stop slashing? Sorry. I have here my plan to penetrate the very heart of the Tillamook. Thank you. To eliminate their unacceptably delicious cheese. Now, as you can see on this tapestry, the attack roots are embroidered. You embroidered? Well, the maidens did the actual sewing. What's this brown thing? The cheese vault, of course. Tillamook's not in a vault. It's in supermarkets. Oh, petty detail. Now we steal the cheese. Steal the cheese. Yes, idiot. Ow. And then place the blocks of cheese here. And what about the shreds and slices? What? Tillamook also comes in shreds and slices. But my plan is to use blocks of cheese to build an armored escape wagon. Can't help that. We could leave the shreds and slices. What's the point of stealing it if we don't steal all of it? Roll up the tapestry, men. I must contemplate. And so the knights rethink their action plan. And all because Tillamook is award-winning cheddar, farmer-owned since 1909. 1909? That's like yesterday. Clearly worth stealing and comes in shreds and slices. Answer the president's call to service. As an AmeriCorps member, I know that Americans everywhere are helping each other, showing strength of character. As a senior Corps volunteer, I know that Americans are showing kindness and compassion. As an AmeriCorps member, I see plenty of American spirit and enthusiasm. Together, we make America strong. Together, we make America great. Find out how you can serve at nationalservice.org. It's your world. It's your chance to make it better. Apply online at nationalservice.org. World Talk Radio, bringing the world to you. To reach a show host or guest during the live show, dial toll-free in North America, 866-613-1612. Or, if outside the USA and Canada, dial 001-858-268-3068. Talking today with Fergus M. Bordewick, author of Bound for Canaan, The Underground Railroad, and The War for the Soul of America. In our first segment, we talked a little bit about identifying the Underground Railroad and and how one finds sources for such a uh, mysterious and uh, secretive and nebulous organization. And uh, it it is something that has always been uh, difficult to track down. I was reading a... uh, uh, a blog of a friend of mine from Detroit uh, who published the following account of a young reporter from WDIV, a uh, television station in Detroit, who was doing a story on a safe house uh, from the Underground Railroad. They were trying to preserve uh, a place where, where escapees could stop before crossing the river into Canada, the final uh, destination. And apparently, while uh, airborne in the helicopter, she she called back and said, uh, "I found the house, and I can see some railroad tracks nearby, but I can't find the place where they go underground." <laughs> and uh, this may be apocryphal, uh, or it may just be the the ignorance of uh, young journalists today. We don't know. But 
uh, th- there is no uh, uh, underground uh, tunnel of, of, of trains. It is uh, a network of people helping one another. And as you pointed out, uh, Fergus, in our first segment, uh, much of the motivation for this was religious. I was fascinated to read your account of the North Carolina Quaker community in, I think this was the 1820s, uh, uh, earlier in the 19th century, and their opposition to slavery, uh, living in a slave state. How, how did you learn about that, and what did you find? Uh, well, well, as it happens, I was familiar with the North Carolina Quaker aspect to this uh, even before I undertook my book, because my uh, wife's family is uh, Quaker and from um, Snow Camp, which is a little little crossroads uh, not too far from Greensboro. Um, which was the epicenter of uh, Quaker uh, anti-slavery activity in the early 19th century. So I, 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 I'd heard something about Levi Coffin and other activist Quakers, and then and then pursued it in depth in the book. And, and it turns out uh, this this paradox that the Quakers uh, the the, the an, annual meeting ends up owning all these slaves. How did that come about? Yeah, it's quite a story, and I, I, I should say uh, to preface this that uh, uh, the story of the North Carolina Quakers and uh, and anti-slavery and the Underground Railroad is one of the absolutely most interesting, dramatic, and unique and important stories in the history of the Underground Railroad, because the Quaker enclave in North Carolina, uh, as I said, Guilford and Alamance counties primarily. Uh, with the only large-scale underground railroad operation that's documentable within the slave states. Uh, it's a myth that the underground railroad was a vast network in the slave states. That is not true. It was, it was almost entirely a northern network that began uh, uh, a short distance south of the border of the free states, except North Carolina. Anyway... So you had in uh, uh, the, the, the Quaker enclave communities of Quakers, some of whom had uh, emigrated from England direct to North Carolina, and others, a very significant portion, who had come down in the 1700s from the Yankee uh, Massachusetts island of Nantucket, bought land and settled in North Carolina. And that group was really the core the cutting edge of the anti-slavery folks in the area. Uh, Quakers nationally began to uh, reject slavery vigorously in the mid-1700s and pressure to pressure members of the Society of Friends, as they're called, to sell slaves that they owned, or rather not sell, to emancipate slaves that they owned in order to free themselves from the sin of slavery. And those same, that same movement, took place in North Carolina. So the Quakers, as a, as a group, were rejecting slavery. Other slave owners um, were often asking if they could emancipate their slaves into the care of the Quakers because free blacks had virtually no legal standing in North Carolina or any other slave-owning states at that time, talking about the early 19th century. Uh, and to make a long story short, uh, uh, for the safety of, of former slaves themselves, so that they wouldn't be kidnapped, re-enslaved, or otherwise preyed upon, uh, the yearly meeting, the, the 
Quaker Yearly Meeting of North Carolina, New Garden, actually, the New Garden Yearly Meeting near Greensboro, uh, took it upon itself to actually become the owner of, of, of slaves who were to be emancipated. And indeed, non-Quakers began willing their slaves to the yearly meeting. And here are the Quakers who, who are anti-slavery and are becoming a fast slave-owning group, which drove them crazy. I mean, they were very, very distressed by it. But slaves who were emancipated without protection in North Carolina were often kidnapped and so forced back into slavery. So the Underground Railroad in North Carolina developed uh, approximately around the year 1820 uh, as a way of sending these slaves who were owned by the yearly meeting out of North Carolina and almost entirely across the mountains with Quaker emigrants traveling by ox cart to Indiana, where many, many North Carolina, Carolina Quakers relocated. So Quaker families were taking technically enslaved people with them to Indiana, and a lot of fugitives were being tucked into the same group. And Levi Coffin comes into the story at this point um, as... Uh, if someone's going to end up in Indiana, I personally used to live in Indiana. Now I'm in North Carolina. I went the other way uh, on this route. But many of these slaves going from the North Carolina Quaker uh, meeting are, are headed towards Indiana, and you end up with an active underground railroad organization there. Uh, what about the Coffin family? Well, yeah, Levi Coffin is a, a towering figure in the history of the Underground Railroad. He was uh, born in North Carolina. His family was a member of the New Garden Meeting. Uh, he was drawn into anti-slavery work as a boy um, in the late 1810s. He was he had an intense personal hatred for slavery based on what he saw happening around him in North Carolina. Uh, he began assisting fugitives as a teenager, and uh, he and a few of his uh, uh, collaborators established what became the first long-distance route of the Underground Railroad, as I said a few minutes ago, sending fugitives all the way from, uh, from North Carolina to Indiana and southern Ohio. And uh, Coffin himself uh, finally emigrated in the 1820s, to Indiana, where he, he homesteaded, essentially, uh, developed a business um, just north of uh, Richmond, Indiana. And in Indiana, his home, there became a central depot of the Underground Railroad, and he later uh, moved over to Cincinnati, where, again, he became a pivotal figure in the Underground and is credited easily with having assisted more than a 1,000 people to freedom over a over an active underground uh, life of close to 40 years. It brings up an interesting question. How many slaves escaped uh, through the Underground Railroad, uh, to, to your best estimate? Yeah, it, can only, it, can, it can't be more than a good estimate uh, because, of course, nobody was clocking them in as they crossed the Ohio River or the Pennsylvania State Line or or the Niagara River in, into Canada. Uh, but there are documentary records uh, that exist of the numbers of fugitives that were assisted in given cities, for example, Detroit, Albany, New York, Syracuse, New York, 
um, Cleveland, Ohio, during given years. Uh, the underground did keep records from time to time in some places. Most of that's gone, but some of it remains. So it is possible to extrapolate pretty good estimates based on uh, numbers that, given stations that we know were quite busy, like like Syracuse or Detroit, uh, the numbers that they handled over time. So uh, my best estimate, and I think it's a little conservative, is that perhaps about 100,000 uh, fugitives were successfully moved to freedom by the Underground Railroad over a period of approximately 60 years, from about 1800, which is when the Underground originated and ran Philadelphia, to the Civil War. Um, now, the the volume of traffic certainly increased from the 1830s on, and the majority, substantially, of that number would have uh, been traveling between the late 1830s and 1861 or 62. Uh, the last fugitives who are recorded as being assisted by the underground going to Canada in uh, 1862 from Detroit. Um, so the number, the total number could well have been as high as maybe 150,000, but I, I couldn't prove it and I wouldn't assert it. Uh, a low would be something like 75,000. Now, even if we take, well, we take the middle number, take 100,000, a striking thing about that is if, if you take the entire enslaved population in 1860, roughly 4 million, that's 2.5%. But that's not 2.5% in one year. That's 2.5% spread out, as you said, over 60 years. Correct. So it's really a trickle. A, that's correct. It's not, it, it was at no time a threat to the institution of slavery in the sense that, that, that the attrition would one day drain the south of its slaves. Well, that's, that's a really interesting question, you know, and I, I'm going to turn it into a question if I... Yeah, no, go ahead. Me. Um, was the Underground Railroad a threat to slavery or not? Uh, well, y you're, you're quite right that the, that the actual volume is tiny, uh, but it had two different kinds of effect, that, that, that uh, flow of fugitives northward assisted by black and white abolitionists. Uh, one... Uh, the the underground fed ten, these tens of thousands of fugitives into northern communities. And we should bear in mind that the vast majority of them remained in northern states. They did not go to Canada. Only a small percentage actually went on to Canada and stayed there. Uh, most settled uh, where they found safety and, and work, which was in northern r rural communities or cities like New York, Syracuse, Detroit, where... Uh, for the first time, many, many, many Northerners, middle-class Northerners, working-class Northerners, white Northerners, encountered people who had been slaves and firsthand learned what slavery was like and the presence of these tens of thousands of fugitives, quite a few of whom, incidentally, become speakers on the abolitionist circuit uh, and speak publicly at, 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 at meetings, uh, carrying, carrying their stories to white audiences. Uh, Northerners in large numbers who were apathetic about slavery, they figured that's a southern problem, it's got nothing to do with us, were converted uh, by their encounters with, with former slaves. Uh, again and again and again, one finds 
certainly among active abolitionists, people who had a kind of on-the-spot conversion by an encounter with a former slave and discover the humanity of the slave. Uh, he's not some remote character that 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 uh, uh, is hard, whose real life is hard to imagine. He becomes a man or a woman like yourself, with a, with a with a family left behind, children sold away into slavery, uh, uh, or parents uh, sold away, families broken up, um, and white people begin to identify with with slaves. It doesn't mean they don't have racist attitudes, but they still begin to identify with them as human beings. Now, uh, so in that sense, it yeah. fed a willingness. It helped inspire a willingness to fight the Civil War, especially amongst men often who were in that first wave of volunteers uh, in 61. Now, uh, this is the second half of an answer to your question, which is what was the effect in the South? There was a perception in the South that the Underground Railroad was much vaster than it actually was. Why? Because a huge number of slaves ran away in the course of a given year, though very few of them actually went north. Most ran somewhere in their own state, in their own vicinity. They hid out, or they, they, uh, or they lay out, which was a term of the time. Uh, they made their way to the southern cities. This is not Underground Railroad activity. It's just people running away. Uh, and especially by the 1850s, Southern politicians uh, tended to blame every single disappearance on the Underground Railroad. So there was a perception in the South that it was undermining slavery. So the, the, there are, there's both a symbolic value, a propaganda value, a, a spreading of ideology, uh, of perception. Yeah. Um, uh, let's talk more about this. We're going to take a short break now and come back in just a few moments for more about the Underground Railroad with our guests today, Ferguson Bordewick, on Civil War Talk Radio.